We are now known by the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Eagerly maintaining the unity of the Spirit and united as the Church, the body of Christ. Made new in the fullness of his love, because in Christ all things are made new. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really Really glad you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall and those of you tuning in, uh, glad you have joined us. All right, tonight, uh, Tom Randall will be speaking here at the Hudson campus, and we are calling it Live Boldly. Uh, I wanted to call it Story Time with Uncle Tom, um, because if you know Tom, you know that uh, uh, Tom tells the best stories of anyone I know. And I think it's probably because Tom has lived more flat out for Jesus than anybody I know. So come on out tonight, be inspired, be encouraged, be challenged. Uh, and I might even tell a couple of stories of adventures that I've been on with Tom as we've tried to serve Jesus together. All right, so I hope to see you tonight. Uh, this weekend is the last weekend of our study in Ephesians. And it is such a great book. I had really wanted this series to be a great series because I had hoped that you would fall in love with Ephesians the way I have fallen in love with it. And I also wanted to give a shout out to those who, uh, to the team members who made the Ephesians Together study guide. Uh, they did a great job, and I hope it was as meaningful to you as it has been to me over these past 10 weeks. All right, let me read the passage for today, and then we'll get into it. It's Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll be reading verses 10 through 20. It's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's Word, and it's true. Uh, what an interesting way to finish out this letter, don't you think? Well, this is what I mean. I mean, Ephesians is divided into six chapters. Uh, the first three chapters, Paul is answering two of the great questions of existence. Uh, there are actually, uh, I usually tell you there are four great questions of existence. There are actually six, and these are the six great questions. Where did I come from? Question of origin. Where am I going? That's a question of destiny. Why am I here? That's the question of purpose. And then how shall I live? That's the question of morality. The last two questions are what's wrong with this world? 
And then what's the solution? What's wrong with this world, and what's the solution? Those are the two questions that Paul answers in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Oh, those are actually the questions that, you know, we just got through the political season, right, the midterm elections. Those are the two questions that politicians ought to be talking about. They ought to say, listen, this is what's wrong with our district or our town or our city, our state, our nation. This is my proposed solution. If you agree, vote for me. But instead, it devolves into personal attacks, which is why at the end of election season, we all feel like we need to take a shower. But that's a whole nother message. But in the first three chapters, this is what Paul did. He says the problem with the world started out as a spiritual problem. The separation between human beings and God. This hostility between human beings and God. And that made a deadness inside of every human being, a spiritual deadness. And that resulted in all kinds of problems from selfishness and self-centeredness to hatred and hostility to fights and wars to racism to all kinds of tears in the fabric of our world. And then Paul says the solution is also a spiritual one, and that solution is Jesus. That through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, something inside of you can actually come alive. You can be reconciled to the God who created you, and then that will result in a transformation inside of you that works from the inside out and then allows you to begin to impact the world around you so you become part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And then in chapters 4 through 6, Paul goes through all the kind of practical ways that works its way out in our lives until finally last week he said this new faith that you have, this new life that you have, this is how it works its way out in your marriage, in your family, and at your workplace. All great stuff. Why not close out the letter there? Why not just say, sincerely, your friend, the Apostle Paul? Instead, Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Why does he do that? Paul is telling us something wildly important right at the end of this letter. This is what I mean. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Nehemiah. We're actually going to do a series on Nehemiah in 2019. Oh, I can't wait to tell you the theme for 2019 for our church. It's going to be great. I, I can't tell you now. But we are going to do a series on, Ephesians, or on Nehemiah. And when we do, we're going to do Nehemiah together and have a book and all that for all the community groups. It's going to be great. But Nehemiah is a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. Uh, this was after the Assyrians and the Babylonians wiped out Israel and Judah respectively, and so uh, Nehemiah is a Jew in exile in Persia. And he hears about Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is a wreck, and it breaks his heart, so he, he prays that God would allow him to go back and help Jerusalem. And so he goes to King Artaxerxes, and his prayers answered beyond his wildest dreams, because Artaxerxes not only tells him he can go back, he gives him like the, the royal platinum credit card and says, you can, you can charge all your supplies on me, and you have my blessing. And so Nehemiah goes back, 
And he draws up blueprints and makes plans. And then he, he buys all the supplies and he hires contractors and masons and carpenters. And it seems like it's just all going to go smoothly. And they start the construction and then arrows start to fly. And they realize that they have an enemy and who's going to try to stop them every step of the way. That's what Paul is telling us. He's saying the world was wreck, is a wreck. But God has a plan, and his plan involves you because he sent Jesus to die on a cross to resurrect and to bring life into you, and that life is going to transform you from the inside out, and then you're going to become part of the solution instead of part of the problem, and you're going to, he's going to use you to transform the people and the things around you. And then Paul says, oh, by the way, you're going to be in enemy territory, and there are forces that are going to try to stop you every step of the way. Well, Paul is reminding the Ephesians, they're reminding each one of us of three things. He says, don't forget, you have an enemy. Don't forget, number two, you're in a battle. And don't forget, number three, you're only as vulnerable as you want to be because you have equipment that can protect you. You have an enemy, you're in a battle, you have equipment that can protect you. First, you have an enemy. Why do things happen? Why, why do things happen in your life the way they happen? Why are they happening the way they're happening right now? I remember years ago, I saw a movie that starred the comedian uh, Steve Martin. It was called The Jerk. I, I, this is probably the only sermon you will ever hear that references that movie. But in the, there's a scene in that movie that I still remember where uh, Steve Martin is at a gas station and there's uh, an assassin, a sniper, who is shooting at him, but he doesn't know that there's a sniper out there shooting at him. And the sniper keeps missing him, but he, he's hitting the oil cans that are in a rack right beside Steve Martin. And Steve Martin is looking at the oil cans and he keeps thinking, keeps saying, these oil cans are defective. Why are they exploding? Right? He thinks his biggest problem is that he's standing next to defective oil cans that are exploding and spraying oil all over him. But his biggest problem is that there is somebody that is trying to destroy him. That's what Paul says is true with you. Some of you think that your biggest problem is what's happening at work or what's happening in your family or what's happening with your health or something like that. And you think your biggest problem are the, is these defective oil cans when your biggest problem is the devil. And that sounds so primitive, doesn't it? It shouldn't, because Ephesians and all the rest of the Bible tells us that there's this spiritual realm around us all the time. And if you believe in a God who created you, you should believe what he says about that spiritual realm. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples to go preach. And they come back, and they say they're just pumped. And they say to Jesus, you won't believe this, Jesus. But even the demons were subject to us in your name. And Jesus doesn't look at them and go, oh, those aren't demons. Don't be so superstitious. Jesus says, oh, yeah, I know. I saw Satan fall like lightning. And what he says is, I saw, I was there when Satan came here. Listen, if you believe in a God who 
created you, redeems you, knows you, loves you, has a plan for you. You should believe what he says about your enemy. Because what he says is that when you become a follower of Jesus, you make an enemy, and he is a formidable enemy. And he is constantly trying to distract you, discourage you, destroy you, tempt you, and ultimately neutralize you as a force for the kingdom of God. When I was thinking about this as I was preparing, I got this kind of image that if God has, a, has like 50 things for you to do to impact your world for him, for his kingdom, what Satan does is he just sifts through one at a time and tries to neutralize you one thing at a time. Just one thing at a time. Because God wants to use you in your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your hobby, at your school, in all kinds of ways. In fact, Scripture says that God's got plans for you, for you only. That he has, he has good things for you to do for him, with him. And if you're not doing them, if you don't know you are doing them, then it's because you have been neutralized. One thing at a time has been crossed off the list because Satan has succeeded in deceiving you, in discouraging you, in distracting you, and in destroying you as a force for the kingdom of God. That's the first thing. You have an enemy. Second thing is you're in a battle. You're in a battle. Do not be surprised when... Being a Christian gets hard. I love being a follower of Jesus, but it's not always easy. This is what he says in verses 12, or 11 and 12. He says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That word wrestle is a very strong word. It means... There are going to be times when it feels like it takes every ounce of strength you have, every ounce of energy you have just to get through the day. And some of you are feeling that right now. But there are also some advantages we have. And one of the advantages where, you, where it says uh, to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil, the strategies that he uses to try to impact your life. You ever notice when you're watching an NFL football game that the coaches, whenever they're calling in plays, they're always like this? I was like, you know why? It's so that the other team can't read their lips. Because if they can read their lips and they know what play's coming, then it's not so hard to stop that play. One of the great advantages we have about the schemes of the devil is we have his playbook. We know the plays he runs. And it's not a very thick playbook. He doesn't have a lot of imagination. He doesn't need it. He has four plays. Four plays. And he's, he runs those same four plays on every human being. He runs them on you. He's running them on you right now. He's going to run them on you tomorrow. He runs them on me. He runs them on every single human being who has ever lived. And it started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Let me show you. This is Genesis chapter 3, the first five verses. 
It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Four plays. These are the four plays. The first play. Satan will do something to you to make you doubt God's goodness. That's the first thing he does to Eve. He just insinuates, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? Does God really want what's best for you? Does God really care about you? Does God really love you? Listen, if there is something that's going on in your life and you're starting to ask the question, why would God do this? Why would God do this to me or to this person that I love? Why is this happening to me at work? Why is my life so hard? Why isn't it better? If you start to ask that question, just know that has all the markings of the first play. Because what you're saying is, does God really love me? Is God really good? This is the God who created you. This is the God who's redeemed you by sending his son to die for you because you could not save yourself. And yet, when something happens in your life, you start to think, is God really good? Play number one. Play number two, you begin to doubt. He wants you to doubt God's wisdom. Not just God's heart. Does God really love you? But does God really know what's best for you? That's what Satan says to Eve. And he starts to say to Eve, no, no, you know what's best for you. Don't you better than what God thinks? I was sitting with a young man not too long ago. And he uh, is a follower of Jesus. He was trying to make it, he's trying to make a decision of whether he should stay with his wife and his family or go off with his mistress. And, and I was sitting there with him, and I said, but you're a follower of Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. What would Jesus want you to do? He said, stay with my wife and family. I said, but, but you're not, right? You're, you're thinking you're going to go off with your mistress. You know why? Because number one, first play has already been played on you. You doubt God's goodness. Second play is just being played on you. You doubt God's wisdom. You think you know better of how your life should go than God does. Satan's just run the first two plays on you and you're done. Right? Those are the first two plays. Doubt God's goodness. Doubt God's wisdom. Third play, doubt God's word. Make it seem unreasonable. That's the thing. Did God really say this? Are you kidding me? And so whenever you look at God's word and God is telling you to do or to not do something and it seems unreasonable, third play. And usually when I talk to people, there are usually two areas that this happens in, most commonly. One is sexuality. When they find out that the Bible says you should save sex until you are married. And if people are wanting to live together, want to have sex outside of marriage, they just go, oh, it's so unreasonable. It's just kind of crazy. And in this day and age, to expect us to wait, yeah, we, we are saving money, living together, whatever it is. 
or, or same-sex attracted. They're saying, this is just ridiculous what the Bible says about how I should handle my sexuality. That's one area that people begin to see God's word as being unreasonable. The other area, if you're safe in that area, the other area is money. That's what I always find out. Because what, you, know, you don't have to be a Christian for very long or read much of the Bible to figure out that, that God says, your money belongs to me and I want 10% of your money. You, I want you to take it and give it back to me. Right? And, and there are a lot of Christians who know that and who don't do that. And the reason they don't do that is they won't say, oh, that's unreasonable. It just feels unreasonable. They'll just go, that's a lot of money. I just, oh, can't do it. You know what I did when, I, when uh, my kids were little? I took one of my paychecks and I went and cashed it and I got it all in tens. And it doesn't matter uh, how much you get paid. If you cash your paycheck and get it all in tens, it seems like a lot of money, especially for little kids. So I had them come downstairs and I, I spread all the money out on our living room floor. And I took 10%. I said, I'm going to show you kids where our, all of our money goes because I thought it'd be a good lesson. So I took uh, 10% and I put it in a pile. And I said, that's what we're going to give God. And then I said, this is what, we, uh, what it costs for us to pay for our house, our mortgage. This is what it costs to pay for food. This is what it costs to pay for the heat and the air conditioning and the water. And this is what it costs for, to pay for our cars. And this is what it costs to give you clothes. And uh, this is what we're saving for vacation. At the end of that, not a single one of my kids looked at the little pile off to the side for God and went, Dad, why are we giving so much to God? Instead, they looked at the big pile in the middle and they said, Dad, we spend a lot on ourselves. It didn't seem unreasonable to them. Why does it seem unreasonable to you? It's the third play. If God is asking you to do something or asking you not to do something and you are resisting because it seems like it's not reasonable, just know that's the third play that Satan uses out of four. You begin to doubt God's goodness, doubt God's wisdom, doubt God's word. Final thing that Satan does, he offers you something that he doesn't have and can't deliver. That's what he offers Eve. Oh, Eve, you will not surely die. You become like God. He didn't have that to give her. Then go back to my friend who's trying to decide whether he should stay with his wife or go with his mistress. What do you think Satan's promising him with his mistress? Oh, I promise. This will be better than you ever dream. Your kids will be okay. It's going to be all right. It's going to be great. He can't promise that. He doesn't have that. Satan's like the scam artist who just kind of hooks into your greed. You know, scam artists only work on greed. If somebody calls you and it's a, it's a deal that's too good to be true, it's a deal that's too good to be true. And you know that in your head, but in your heart, ugh, that's why you fall for it. That's what Satan counts on. Right? So those are the four plays. So what's going on in your life right now? Listen, if you feel like there's a lull, Satan hasn't gone away. He's just regrouping. He's going to figure out. He's going to come back at you. Try to figure out how to make you doubt God's goodness, God's wisdom, God's word. And he's going to offer you stuff he doesn't have and he can't deliver. All right. So last point. You have been given equipment 
that can protect you. That's what he says, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. He says, take up the whole armor of God. And then he goes through all the pieces of armor. And we don't have time to go through that. I preached a whole series on the armor of God back in 2014. If you want to hear those, you can look them up, I think, in our archives. But my question is, why does he list out what he lists out? He lists out some really interesting, he says, you have a helmet. You got a breastplate. You got a sword. You got a shield. You got a belt. You got shoes. Why, why is Paul listing those things out? He's listing those things out because they were state-of-the-art equipment in the first century. If you had those things, you were decked out. You were ready for battle. If he put it in the 21st century, what would he list out? He would say, oh, oh, you have night vision goggles. You got an earpiece that connects you with all the team members. You got a flak jacket that can take care of any kind of ordinary ordinance that, and it won't hurt you. You have uh, an AK-47, you got a string of grenades. Man, you are ready. Whenever I watch a movie with our special forces or a documentary on SEAL team or anything like that, I'm always just uh, amazed at the kind of equipment that our military has. And I always think when they're going into their operation, I think, man, we have such a huge advantage over anybody because nobody has the kind of equipment that our military has. But if I was part of a SEAL team, and my SEAL team's going on an operation, and I come walking up to go with them on this operation, and I'm wearing gym shorts, a t-shirt, and flip-flops, I think my SEAL team would look at me and they'd go, what are you doing? Why would you even think about going into what we're going into dressed like that? But I know an awful lot of Christians who wake up on Monday morning and they head out into their day in nothing but gym shorts, a t-shirt, and flip-flops because they have forgotten that they have an enemy and they're in a battle. I tell you all the time of different things that God shows me or, or at things I learn in my private devotional time with God, that's because I, I spend time with God every single day. Every day. I do not miss a day. And for a couple of reasons. One, I love God. I love to spend time with Him. But the second reason is I'm going into a battle. And I know that. And I want to get prepared for that battle, so I spend time with God going through things, going through the different parts, saying, listen, remind me of your goodness. Remind me of the gospel. I was lost and you found me. You love me with a, an unbelievable love. Remind me that you have wisdom beyond anything I can fathom. Remind me that you have a plan for me. Remind me of the truth of your word. Tell me. Tell me. And during that time, I read the Bible, I write in my prayer journal, but all the time I'm getting dressed. I'm getting dressed. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, no, you're heading into a battle. You have a formidable foe who wants nothing more than to neutralize you, to make you part of the problem, not part of the solution of this whole world. And you've got a God who says, I created you, I have loved you, I know you, 
I've redeemed you, and I have a plan for you. Spend time with him before you head out so you'll know. I love that there's a battle. I really do. I was thinking about that. It's an honor that God lets me be a part of the battle because there is nothing I can do to help him save me. He's got to do that all on his own. But if he will equip me and tell me where to go, I can serve him. I can do something for him. I can be part of what he wants to do in this world. And I want to do that. Ephesians is all about change. It's all about how God can actually change you from the inside out and then use you to change the world around you. This God who created you, redeems you, knows you, loves you, has a plan for you. Let him use you. But don't forget, you have an enemy. You're in a battle. But you have equipment that God has given you that can and will protect you. Ephesians together, right? Transformed, 2018. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, I come to you, and I, I am so grateful that you remind us at the end of this magnificent letter uh, that, we are, that we have an enemy and we're in a battle. But you didn't leave us without equipment, but you have given us uh, equipment to prepare ourselves. I pray for everybody here. Uh, you know that there are people here who are beginning to doubt your goodness, doubt your love, doubt your word, and I pray that you would help each and every one of us uh, with the enemy. That, that he would not be successful in neutralizing us as a force for your kingdom and for your glory. So use us, I pray. Thank you. And thanks especially for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.